And the lens of the resurrection is, is, is limitless, right? Because politics, socio, like cultural, you know, changes, entertainment, like none of these things can save me from death, right? Mm. And they're, they're never explicit in that promise, but very implicitly, that's kind of what they're saying. But only only the, the lens of the resurrection has the audacity to just say, yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm more powerful than even death. And we have, you know, extreme evidence of that in, in Jesus Christ. Welcome to Stories from the Street. I'm Brian. Thank you for joining us today. In this podcast, we're going to interview Father Michael Bremer. Uh, Father Bremer was ordained two years ago, and is a priest of the Archdiocese of Atlanta. Today, he speaks about the importance for us as Christians to see our lives through the lens of the resurrection and to allow the hope of our own rising with Christ to be a source of faith and hope for the present moment. I hope you enjoy it. And now we're just very grateful to have on friend and priest, Father Michael Bremer. Father, thanks for coming on with us. Yeah, thank you again for having me. Yeah, I think the best way to introduce you is if we could like reincarnate the spirit of St. Thomas Aquinas and his knowledge, <laughs> like the devotion of St. Therese Lisieux, the basketball skills of Michael Jordan, and... <laughs> Like if that all of those were in one person, maybe maybe the bodybuilding of Arnold Schwarzenegger. Like you just have like the whole I, I was trying to think of guests who would be good to bring on. And I was like, okay, Father Bremer, you know, people need to be introduced to you. So I'm grateful for you to come on with us today. Well, thank you. Yeah, Is that yeah. a good introduction? That's what actually what you wrote. That's what you told me to say about you. So. Well, it's gonna be really hard to live up to that now, but I'll give it a shot. <laughs> It's so good to have you here, Father. Thank yes, you. And I hope those that are um, been listening, they'll stick around because this will be a really nice interview with uh, not a baby priest because it's been more than a year, but just to hear uh, whenever we can talk to priests and get their perspective on things, it's it's just beautiful. So thank you. Thank you for That's taking true. time out for us. Yeah. Uh, and for those who don't know, I was in the seminary for the Archdiocese of Atlanta for three years and I was going to be in Father Bremer's class. So that's how we got to know each other. And even though we were both in the same diocese, we actually went to different seminaries, but we were still really good friends. Uh, and he is a great basketball player. So there is that. And we're, we're both tall dudes. And so naturally, I don't know why I just had, I bond with taller guys. I don't know why that is. Someone pointed that out to me one day. Like, why are all your friends tall? I'm like, I don't know. But anyways, <laughs> Father Bremer, first, uh, before we get into the topic, which we want to be able to speak about how we can see the world through the lens of the resurrection, I just wanted to give you a chance to talk about what it's been like to be a priest these past two years. What's your favorite part? Okay, yeah, so, so I've been a priest uh, since uh, June 16th of 2018. So uh, yeah, coming on two years. So my experience so far has been a little bit different than uh, most priests. So right when I got ordained, I went back for another year of school. I don't know if you remember that, but yeah. I, was, I do I, remember that, yeah. You know, I, was, I was studying my STL. So it was a little bit strange being a priest and then going back into like, <laughs> the pseudo like seminary environment and like having to learn all over again. But um, the, what that experience taught me was um, like, I love being in the parish like the, the summer before, but then like when I was uh, taken out of that context and <laughs> having to go back to school, like uh, God really invited me to consider the questions like, okay, well, you love what a priest does, but do you love who a priest is? And so like for me, that was like a, a very good like learning experience. So fast forward a little bit, I get to St. Bridget uh, last year in 2019. And my experience so far as being a priest has been a ton of learning. 
<laughs> Wait, you had all the answers in seminary. <laughs> what else could you possibly fit in there? I don't know. I must have been sleeping during that part. But <laughs> yeah, so 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 far it's been an uh, it's been an incredibly humbling experience, um, and in a very real way. Um, so so like I don't know if you remember, but like uh, people like to make the analogy between like priesthood and marriage. Yeah, in marriage, like you marry somebody and they're there to get you to heaven. It's not quite the same uh, analogy with a priest, but in a very real way, one of the beautiful things I've come to realize um, is that my parishioners in a very real way are helping me get to heaven. They're very encouraging. They're incredibly loving, very affirming. And so this has probably been, uh, yeah, my most favorite part about being a priest is like the the person-to-person interaction. Just getting to know parishioners, getting to their houses for for dinner, getting to know families. Um yeah, yeah, it's been incredible. Yeah, fun. you just jumped into this huge family of 4,000, uh, or this huge parish of 4,000 families, and everyone gets to see you. And then you, I'm sure even in the course of years, it's hard to be able to get to know everybody that's there. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, absolutely. So you've been at St. Bridget, you're just finishing up your first year there? That's correct. Mm-hmm. And then how long uh, will you be at St. Bridget normally? Do you guys move around? I know in our diocese, you're an associate for maybe one, two, maybe three years, and then you move again, and then you move again, and be, then you become a pastor. So you you get you move a lot before you become a pastor. Exactly. Exactly. So it's very similar in Atlanta. Um, yeah. So so the, for the first assignment, yeah, it's anywhere for two to three years, and then you'll go to another assignment, two to three years. And then, yeah, after that, they'll, <laughs> they'll kind of chomp at the yeah. bit to, to make you a pastor. <laughs> yeah. Father, how do you see your ministries changed since this pandemic began? Yeah, so I kind of mentioned there, my most favorite part about being a priest is like the person-to-person interaction. And mm-hmm. so, golly, so yeah, when it started, uh, yeah, going, starting to, to like ramp up there in early March, like already we started to see like a lot of people being reluctant to come to church, you know, rightly so. Um, it's completely understandable. But I remember, so in Atlanta, they, the, the bishops made the decision the evening of, of March 16th. I'll, I'll probably never forget it. So March 16th is in the evening, they said, all right, we're going to suspend, you know, masses until at that time it was Palm Sunday. And so we, we have a 6.30 a.m. mass uh, every, every weekday. So I was there in the morning just in case people didn't get that email. And I had to say, yeah, we're, we're sus- <laughs> the unthinkable has happened and we, we have to suspend mass. And so there, there were a few people that showed up and they were just kind of like, what? Like, mm-hmm. And so like, that's, that's kind of been my experience. It's been incredibly surreal. And yeah, yeah. So, so like that, so I, I've, I've celebrated mass in private, you know, before, but that morning, Tuesday, the March 17th, um, yeah, I was there celebrating mass shortly after <laughs> I told people that they couldn't come to mass. And I said, the Lord be with you. And nobody responded back. And I was just like, oh, gosh this is this is heartbreaking <laughs> this is really heartbreaking um and so so yeah it, it's like every priest will probably say it's a little bit something different about like why it's difficult for them but for me like it's really missing the the, the person-to-person interaction like we have we have our 6 30 a.m mass crowd and there there are regulars right there's like 50 people that go to that and same thing with our nine o'clock and it's like i just miss that that interaction with them like sundays have become really really backwards because it was probably like one of my most busiest days has become my one like non-busiest right love shaking people's hands love uh saying hello to them after all the masses but yeah now i only celebrate one mass on sunday and (laughs) yeah have they been able to let you are there any guidelines about doing anointing of the sick or seeing parishioners at all during this time 
Yeah. So at first it was, uh, it was pretty strict in terms of like, we really don't want to be encouraging people to, um, to leave their homes, especially with the shelter in place order. But over the past uh, week and a half or so, you know, since uh, Governor Kemp, you know, here in Georgia um, has kind of relaxed a little bit of those things then the bishops have as well. So anointing. Yeah. Um, similar thing uh, as before, but I think more so it's on the hospitals kind of regulations in terms of them being reluctant to, to allow people to, to be coming in. So yeah, I've, I know some of my brother priests have, but I haven't gone to the hospital, you know, in like two months. So yeah. something like that. Yeah. I saw that they weren't letting any priests in, especially for COVID-19 patients. Right. Really so it, it depends on the hospital. Cause I've, I've had a couple of buddies um, go and anoint people with, uh, with, yeah, with, with coronavirus. Yeah. I think in our diocese, it, um, if you are on the chaplain list, like if you are one of the chaplains that you, you okay. regularly go, then you were able to, but if you weren't, then you didn't. Yeah. yeah. One of the things I saw in Chicago that was pretty, uh, pretty neat. is like, there were a group of young priests who said, look, we want to be the ones to serve the, the, the people with coronavirus. And so like, basically they've kind of like devoted like it's a little bit of their, their or like pretty much their lives right now to just simply going to the hospitals and then like going back and quarantining themselves. It's really yeah. inspirational. Oh yeah. Wow. I noticed some um, pi um, pictures of people of the priests saying mass to the empty pews and then the empty pews have pictures of their parishioners like they set them up like okay this is where the smiths are and here's their picture and this this pew here and and i just saw that and i was thinking how sad it would be to be a priest and you and you want to father your flock and they're not there and i thought that was an interesting way that some parishioners tried to support their priests yeah, it's true. And so <laughs> I was thinking about that the other day and here at St. Bridges, because we have so many families, like we would end up uh, using a lot of paper. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, it, but it's so true though, right? So when I'm celebrating daily mass down there in the uh, in our um, adoration chapels where we have daily mass, it's like, I remember like where people are sitting, right? I remember, you know, Marie, I remember Adelina, you know, there in the back. Um, I remember like where all these people are and it's, um, yeah, it's, it's taken some getting used to um, <laughs> doing mass into a camera. But, um, but yeah, yeah, you certainly yeah do miss the people for sure. Yeah. Are there any stories uh, that have happened since the pandemic where God really showed forth his grace, even in the midst of what's happening? Yeah, so I, I've been speaking to, to some families, um, just kind of like wanting to hear from them, wanting to see how they're doing, et cetera, et cetera. And, and a lot of them do talk about like the difficulty of having all of a sudden be teachers and explain, you know, things to, to their kids. Um, of being cooked up and, and you know with with each other but a lot of them have spoken about just how much of a blessing like it's been so I know for a lot of families um, it's been a very trying time but also there's there's been some silver lining in it so certainly some some ways of grace that that they've uh, that they've been able to to experience but just like in my own life um, yeah because and I, I preached a little bit about this um, for <laughs> even in the technical difficulties that we had uh, with the, for the road to Emmaus Right, so my reflection um, the, this past weekend was like, how is God with me in the present? Because like right now I find myself either reminiscing about old times in the past or looking forward to the future. You're <laughs> just like hoping for, for this to be over soon. But That's 95% like, of my day. <laughs> okay, so I'm not alone in that. But, but I felt this like very clearly God just saying, okay, well, what about right here and right now? Because like very clearly, like the two disciples on the road to Emmaus, like, they've they've undergone a lot of fear they've undergone a lot of disappointment they've undergone a lot of sadness but like jesus very clearly even though not to them right also sometimes in hindsight that's how it works 
so yeah god is very clearly walking with them right here and right now and so like yeah god very clear has been like showing his grace to me is like no look i'm here in the present and so like in a kind of a practical way um at first like doing mass through a camera i'm like is anybody even watching this? Is this even like is this even working? And then like literally like the first time we did uh, that that online mass, like people sent emails basically saying like, I am so grateful um, to to be able to to see you like our priests because there's a ton of wonderful priests doing mass out there, but like ultimately people want to see like their priests, the priests that they're familiar with. So it's been it's been a good good source uh, source of grace for me. It's like how is God with me right now here in the present and being faithful to how he's calling me to serve right now to trust that it's actually having an impact on people's lives. You know what I was reflecting on the road to amaze, even with your homily about the resurrection and the important to be able to see life of the resurrection, but the, the two disciples on the road to Emmaus had heard of Christ's resurrection, but they were still walking away disappointed. Mm-hmm. Like how is, how is that possible? <laughs> <laughs> they heard it like, yeah, we heard testimony of Jesus who we were following, who died and we heard that he rose again, but they were still walking home disappointed. Uh, I thought that was just a really interesting note. And yeah, I didn't know if you had any ideas of like why they would still be disappointed even after they had heard of Christ rising. Yeah. So yeah. And it kind of points to a fact of like, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't really make it drink. Right. Like what finally gets them to go back to Jerusalem, right? What finally gets them to be able to go back to where it is that they're called to be is an actual encounter with Christ, right? With the actual like resurrected Christ. And that's the thing I think that makes all the difference. Um, same thing with Thomas, right? Like he's heard um, that Jesus is risen from the, from the dead, but it's like until he actually experiences that himself, then he's able to like really enter into believing that. Because like, when I look at my own life, it's like, okay, like intellectually, I know that the resurrection happened, right? Um, And in certain areas of my life, like in various relationships and certain aspects of my being, like I've experienced the resurrection, but there's still other aspects of my life that (laughs) that are unredeemed, right? And so there I find that disappointment, there I find that fear, there I find that that lack of ability to be able to see Jesus walking with me. What was your answer and how we can live in the present when you were reflecting on that? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. so if, if I'm honest with myself, like a big reason why I'm looking to the past or why I'm looking ahead to the future is because there, there's pain in the present, right? And certainly like there's pain in the, in the past and I can sort of project that onto the future as well. But it's, it's almost, it's not necessarily even an escape, but that's certainly part of it. Um, so, so the difficulty with, with being in the present means that you do have to encounter, you do have to reverence, you do have to be honest about like these current things going on in my heart right now, right? That's sometimes why the present is so difficult to be. And so to find the Lord walking with me in that is, it gives me to, or lets me know that I have a friend there walking with me. And so to engage that disappointment, to engage like missing my parishioners, is like, mm-hmm. yeah, Jesus is feeling that there with me. So to have some solidarity um, allows me to kind of, yeah, just be able to sit with that pain and then also allow Jesus to, to really soothe it as well. Would that just be through personal prayer, like just sitting with God, maybe praying with the Red Emmaus, or maybe how do you let Christ be present with you? Yeah, so, I mean, yeah, <laughs> practically speaking, yeah, prayer. Prayer yeah. is probably the best way to do it. But even, even, even too, like a lot of people find like, uh, like, I don't know, housework or like things around the yard to be incredibly like meditative. And so they're able to really enter into that space where they allow God to just say, yeah, I am here present with you. Um, yeah. Yeah, so, so like prayer is how I do it, but certainly other people I'm sure have lots of ways that they're able to really enter into that kind of space to, to allow God to speak. 
Mm-hmm. It's nice mm-hmm. to have a routine that you're used to. So mm-hmm. I can really relate to your parishioner saying, I'm glad it's your mass. It's our mass. It's, mm-hmm. it's my church. I get to go. Um, and that kind of helps you to be, yeah, it's Sunday. Here we are. And we're right with father in the normal, like I am normal. And I think that mm-hmm. is helpful too, just to kind of embrace, embrace where we are right now. Um, so mm-hmm. the, that routine and what a blessing that you're able to do that for your parishioners. It is, yeah, and they, they've echoed the same thing because, <laughs> like, I'm nowhere near as good a preacher as, like, you know, Bishop Barron or, like, you know, Father Mike Schmitz or anything like that. But again, like, people are just incredibly appreciative to, to be able to, yeah, hear me because I, I do know them, right? I, they're familiar with me. I know their context, et cetera, et cetera. So yeah. also being oh, able yeah. to, to see the parish that they know, um, yeah, also makes a difference as well. Mm-hmm. It does. I'm telling you, it makes so much of a difference. I've done that a couple of times just to go to my home parish or – uh, I tend to church hop. So there's a couple home parishes that I have mm-hmm. or to the, the priests that I know. And it's just the familiarity there is, is so beautiful. It's very easy for anxiety. And like you said, looking to the back, looking back or looking forward to, to grip you mm-hmm. and to, to pull yourself out of that and to, to catch it when you, when you find yourself going down that road, going down that rabbit hole and of, of fear, anxiety, or something to, to catch it and bring yourself back to the present and remember, you know, Christ is with us right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And Father Bremer, you mentioned your preaching and I did watch your preaching on Easter Sunday. <laughs> and you just, I remember you giving a message about how important it is that we as Christians be able to look at life through the lens of the resurrection. What did you mean by that? Yeah. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> Yeah, so you can go to our YouTube page and, and check it out. But I had a little prop, right? So I had a, a few different like contact lenses that I had, because um, uh, I, I basically provoked like that question by say, by telling everybody the story about when I stubbed my toe. Yeah, <laughs> and it's, it's kind of like a, a nonchalant sort of example of suffering, but it's it's sort of like good to to have it like within that kind of framework of like disappointment, of fear, of just of just all the things that the resurrection kind of answers, right? So ultimately, of pain. And I, I talked about at the beginning how there's lots of different ways that we can view our reality, right? There's lots of different lenses through which we can, we can engage the world. I talked about um, a political lens. I talked about like a sociocultural lens. I talked about like an entertainment lens. And I'm sure that we can come up with, with a whole bunch more. But basically, like when I encounter reality, like how do I engage it? Like what is my hope? What is sort of like the framework? What's sort of the boundaries? What's sort of like am I allowed to actually process in terms of like what it is that I'm viewing these things? And so <laughs> I forget exactly what I said about it, but um, so say for instance, like my stub toe, right? If I'm viewing it through the lens of like a political kind of framework, well, basically how I solve my problem, how I view it, how I see the cause of the problem, right? My stub toe is going to be purely through a political lens, right? Similar thing with a sociocultural, similar thing with like an entertainment. I think specifically about the, the entertainment lens, I said, well, the reason why I have a stub toe is because, I don't know, X, Y, or Z, but the reason, but the, the solution for healing my stub toe is to post about it on Instagram and, and soothe it with likes, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's sort of like the, the lens by which I engage this, this type of disappointment and this type of suffering. Mm-hmm. Um, but I noted that with each one of these lenses that we use, there's always some type of um, limit to about how exactly I'm able to be healed by it. Like they're all good lenses to, to view reality through, but they're, they're kind of limited, right? So I can post all I want about my suffering and get as many likes as I can, but like my suffering doesn't actually change with it, right? 
Or think about like through a political lens. Um, I don't know. Do you remember when they when they started doing that distracted drivers uh, law that in, we had here in Georgia? Of? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, so I I love using that kind of as an example, of, like trying to like politicize um, like morality, right? Because like you can put these laws in place, and they're good laws to, to have, right? But it doesn't really get at like what actually changes my reality because if a person is driving distracted or they're like not paying attention on the road, it's either because they're like anxious or they're bored, right? They're yeah. watching Netflix because they're bored or they're you know trying to do a million things at the same time because they're anxious and running late. And so like a lot doesn't have the power to actually change like the anxiety or the boredom in their heart, right? Only a person has the power to do that. So again, like a political lens is a good thing to, to be doing, but it's not the complete lens by which our realities actually change. And then, so I talked about this, the fact of like, okay, well, I can put these lenses away, but it turns out I'm actually left with a lens that's inherent to my nature as a human being, especially being baptized. And that's the lens of the resurrection, right? That's when it was given to me. And the lens of the resurrection is, is, is limitless, right? Because politics, socio, like cultural you know, changes, entertainment, like none of these things can save me from death, right? Mm. And they're never explicit in that promise, but very implicitly, that's kind of what they're saying. But only only the the lens of the resurrection has the audacity to say, "Yeah, I'm <laughs> I'm more powerful than even death," and we have you know extreme evidence of that in in Jesus Christ. So whenever so whenever I look at my stubbed toe, it's like, okay, I might live with a stubbed toe the rest of my life, but that's okay because that's not going to be the final end of it. Something will actually change with it. And so when we look at the the resurrection, we're life through the lens of the resurrection kind of gives meaning to everything. It's like, no, evil is not going to be the last word in it. I'm thinking of an analogy that's happening right now or something that people are really experiencing right now is maybe isolation and loneliness and fear. How is it that being able to look at the resurrection will be able to help us cope with that? Yeah. Sorry. You said of specifically what isolation, maybe isolation or, or loneliness, uh, you know, maybe not it's, I guess it's a different type of pain than a stub toe pain, yeah, yeah. but you know, is it, is it just being able to say that death does not have the final say? And so I can have hope. Is that what you're trying to say is the, the reality that even though we're experiencing pain in the present, we can still have hope that this is going to be released in the future. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And so, so like there's two things that go along with that, right? So faith is the ability to see Jesus in the present. Yeah. And then hope is the ability to, uh, to see Jesus in the future. And that's kind of like a simplified version of like what faith and hope actually are. But yeah, absolutely. It's tapping into that grace that God is desiring to give us to prove that, no, I'm here right here and right now. Mm-hmm. And that's why I love the story of, of, of divine mercy, right? Of, of uh, Thomas. It's like the disciples were up there, right? They were there because of great fear. But Jesus was like, I'm not afraid of your fear. So I'm going to go right into the middle of that and yeah, and spend some time with you. And that actually serves as a, probably a really good image for isolation, right? Of people being locked up in their rooms. Like, no, Jesus isn't afraid of our doubt. He's not afraid of our, (laughs) of anything. Right. And he's willing to be there. So that's faith and then hope. Right. So hope, so hope is uh, both like proximate, like soon, but also like in the future as well. And so our ultimate hope is after death. Right. Because I, th- I think of Lazarus, and I think of some of these lepers that Jesus healed, right? Or like Lazarus who Jesus resuscitated. And it's like, okay, they were healed, but at some point they're going to die again. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And so it's like, so it's like, we might not actually receive healing like here in this earth, but what we have with the hope of the resurrection is to say like, okay, well, there will be a time 
whether it's this life or at the very least the next that yeah, that I'm, that everything's going to be good in and of itself through and through. You know, what's powerful about that is just as you're speaking, I'm thinking the lens of the resurrection, that the source of my hope is that it's one day going to be taken away. But I think what you're also trying to say is the fact that we believe in the resurrection brings power to the present moment. So inviting Jesus into this present pain, that it's not just something that like, okay, I have to endure this until, you know, I, I pass and we, through our baptism through Christ conquer death and, and gain eternal life and salvation with him and it can help the pain that I'm experiencing right now it's not just something for the future yeah yeah because because like the and this is part of the tricky thing about like the Christian life right it's like here we are and we're being faithful to God to the best of our ability but it's like sometimes God doesn't take that suffering away right but sometimes mm-hmm. he does and so that's kind of the the question of the of the Christian journey is like why this rather than that but at the very least, what we have is somebody who's willing to be with us in the midst of our suffering, right? Um, so loneliness is <laughs> is kind of like the most ironic uh, like thing in existence because every single person, to one extent or another, has experienced loneliness. Like this very experience that we all share, like can't actually help us to 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 be like within one another. But what Jesus shows, especially on the cross and in His death, He's like, no, He is willing to be able to be there. And so what's turned into a place of like solitude is actually turned into a place of like friendship with God. And all that sounds kind of abstract, right? And <laughs> really nice and wonderful, but yeah. until we actually experience like Jesus being us with their, like being with us in the midst of that terrible suffering, then yeah, then, then that can be life-changing. Yeah. I think that was going back to what I was just saying before, how do we invite him in the present? And you were just saying personal prayer and maybe even finding other ways that might be meditative ways that, such as gardening maybe that is a way that you can be able to see god and and him come to you what even while you're doing something with your hands like that's okay mm-hmm. but you, you can still experience god's presence and he can heal you through that yeah and it takes a lot of practice too so whenever we look at the i've been in, like absolutely enthralled by these uh by the resurrection stories um again like kind of viewing it like as a changed person since i was last year in uh whole um you know easter um, is that the kind of the thing that's been really speaking to me is that when Jesus shows up to these people, I don't think, yeah, hardly anybody recognizes who he is, right? <laughs> and so like what it shows to me is like, yeah, it takes a, it, it takes practice to be able to see Jesus like this side of the resurrection. Um, Jesus has to teach us uh, a bunch about what it means to, to be able to see him. Um, again, kind of like an abstract kind of way to view it, but nevertheless, it's still pertinent to us, right? And <laughs> learning how exactly to see Jesus um, in those places that we doubt that he might not be able to go. Amen. And it's beautiful. Yeah. Last night we were talking about different ways to pray and different ways to become a saint indoors and in our mm-hmm. webinar. And one of the things that uh, we were talking about was how to do these little short prayers, mm-hmm. um, little like text messages back and forth to God all day long, just to keep him part of every part of your day. You know, married couples tend to do that. They'll, they'll text each other all day long. Did, did you do this? I don't, don't worry about that. I love you. I, this was a great, this happened or whatever. They're back and forth, back and forth, back and forth in that relationship. Um, and that was one of the suggestions, whether it's a Jesus, I trust in you. Jesus, I trust in you. Thank you, Jesus. Help me now, Jesus, <laughs> or whatever. Um, and whatever it is for you, like sometimes I'll get a mantra going, you know, in him, I live and work. Have, he lives and works and have, and have my being, you know, whatever it is, but keeping that going throughout the day just keeps, keeps me focused 
And I thought it was such a great, um, great suggestion because the anxiety, the, the distractions, the temptations, all these come in. And so those little, little prayers throughout the day are helpful. Absolutely. Cause like in a very real way, like what you're like training yourself to do is to see God in the ordinary. Right. Mm -hmm. And then like that, that's a place that we underestimate like God's, you know, presence with us, but yeah. So you're, you're seeing God in the ordinary, but you're also like nurturing your relationship with him, which is really wonderful. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. It reminds me of brother Lawrence's practice in the presence of God. I think that's a, that's a classic Christian book, but that's what I remember the whole book being about is how do we be able to see God in the ordinary every day? Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's not like we, I think time of intentional prayer where we're going to find a place of solitude uh, is, I mean, Jesus even modeled that for us, but that's not the only place where Christ is. So to bring him into the present is also something that's uh, beautiful and a good practice for us as Christians to remember. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, That's great. Especially since we don't have mass. It's not like, okay, my God time's gone. I don't have my regular God time. I, I, I guess I'll wait till next month. You know, <laughs> you can't do that. Because <laughs> yeah. in, a, in a kind of like subtle way, like those little like, you know, exchanges uh, between God, like ultimately what they are is like an act of spiritual communion. Like, hey, Jesus, I'm about to <laughs> make some coffee. Can you join me? You know, can you can you join me in that time? Or, or Jesus, you know, I'm about to type a little, you know, homily or something like that. Can you be with me in this time? And so like, yeah, just like acknowledging that that fact that God is always in relationship with us, like has the power to really transform, albeit in small ways, uh, like our, our current reality. But that's kind of like what that idea of spiritual communion is. Mm-hmm. Father Bremer, thank you for, again, for just coming on with us and praying with yeah, us today and yeah. just allowing us to be able to see how the importance of being able to find Christ in the present. Mm-hmm. I think it's, it's beautiful to be able to see his resurrection, allow us to not just have hope in the future, but experience his presence now well it's been such a pleasure to speak with you Um, you, i'm wondering if you could leave us with a blessing yeah absolutely amen loving father i give you great thanks for the gift of your life to the world especially i give you great thanks for brian for beth for for dan and for all the people there at uh, saint paul street evangelization I ask for your blessing upon them and all the people they minister to, all the people they love, all the people they serve. I ask for your blessing upon all those who come across St. Paul's Street Evangelization. So ask for your word, Jesus Christ, and for your power, the power of your Holy Spirit to continue enlightening them and guiding them in their mission to bring you to souls. So I ask for your blessing upon them, all their loved ones, all the people they serve, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Father. Thank yeah, you thanks so for having much. me. It's, it's an honor. Yeah. Oh, no, it was great. Uh, it's an honor to be able to have you on. And, uh, you know, everybody, uh, just so you know, um, just as Father Bremer mentioned, our, our mission is to be able to help equip people bring the good news of Jesus to other people. So if that's something that you want to learn more about, uh, just go to our website and take advantage of everything that we're offering today. Uh, and support our apostolate. And by doing that, you have full access to everything that we have to help you become a great evangelist. All right, God bless everybody. Bye.